0: We've, yeah. been, uh, we've been friends with this precious couple. They're also from South Africa. Uh, Rob was with Deloitte. He was on his way to being a chartered accountant. And the Spirit of God arrested him and uh, called him. I think you t- took about a two-thirds salary hit, didn't you? From Deloitte to, was it less than that? Did you get about a quarter of a salary? Even less than that. Less than that. I, I can't count below a quarter of your salary. It's beyond my pay grade. And so they left the privileged life of being in a global firm of accountants to take on a little church in Durban in the northern part of South Africa. We have watched and we've befriended them and we've preached around the world together. Um, The kind of big pointers is that Robert Linder lead a church in Dubai. They have three kids. Their eldest daughter is in Westmont. Full ride scholarship, amazingly. And exactly. And uh, uh, he heads up what we do into India, into Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe, and so on. Those of you who are motorcycle enthusiasts, once a year, uh, Rob takes a group of guys, the land of Colombo, Sri Lanka, the capital, they rent motorcycles, and they go around for about 10 days to visit the, the rural church plants. It's an adventure. That's where Caleb nearly got killed. What's that? Yeah, they ran from the police. It's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite stories. What are you telling your wife, Caleb? Are you trying to be a hero to her and tell her you fought off a whole village by yourself with one stick? It's truth people, it's truth here. Anyway, love them big time. We collaborate together in Genesis Collective, which is our global church planting initiative and uh, rob pioneers many things, but we don't often So Linda, I have two questions for you. Okay, the one is, what do you like about Rob? And the other is, what don't you like about him? Now, you only have a few moments. Now, tell us what you like about your man, because he's crazy. And tell us about your kids.
1: Hello, everybody. <laughs> I knew Chris was going to put me on the spot. Um, what I love about my husband is... There are many things.
0: Whoa.
1: But, but they also...
0: <laughs>
1: they also, good. yeah. Um, is that nothing... Is too difficult for him he he loves God passionately um, and I'm sure you'll you'll hear that as he preaches this evening um, but he he yeah he's just he's crazy he's adventurous he takes me by grabs me and I drag behind him and um, I just pray that he doesn't let me go um, but yeah he, it just an amazing adventurous great dad working on on being a good husband as well, apparently. (laughs) And about my kids, I've got three, we've got three kids. Um, Matthew, who's um, 21, he's in his last year of university in South Africa. Hannah is 20, she is doing her first year at Westmont, who we're going to go visit in a few days, and we're very excited about that. And then we have a 17-year-old son, Ethan, who is in boarding school in South Africa. So all three of our children are not with us Uh uh-huh yeah you sleep there (laughs) is that enough
0: that's great thanks thanks terry come and pray for your mate father we thank you so much for rob i thank you lord for the deep passion that he has for you for your people and for the mission of your people throughout the earth he gets things done. And we, I'm just, I appreciate that so much. I ask tonight, Lord, that as he speaks, he would speak the oracles of God. That he would speak the oracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that we would be open to hear what he has to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good
2: evening, everyone. Great to see you Linda told me to speak slowly because I have got an accent and I will probably get faster and faster as I go on and so just go slow down if I if I start to lose you I am it is it is an amazing privilege to be here I love what God is doing here I feel something prophetically to speak over you and then I want to get into the word which I hope is a prophetic element to it as well Um, my son turned 21 as Linda said last September and I sent him, we couldn't be with him. one of the privileges of being in the nations is that we often on around our kids in these important moments, but we sent him a video which was obviously a massive substitute for our presence. but in it, I said to him, "Don't come under the pressure of living an amazing life, and I want to call my son to the most amazing life. I want him to live something that is just like um like your head explodes like I didn't think it could be like this because because I feel like that's the life that I've lived. I actually said to God, I think when I was 40, you could take me home now, it would be okay. Genuinely, this is way better than I imagined. I've seen more than I thought I would see. I've known love in ways that I didn't know I could know it. And so if, if, if I were to go home now, this has already exceeded my expectations. And I'm now 50, I've got another 10 years of that. I've got years to go until the Lord takes me home. Linda's saying, don't say it too loudly in terms of how long I've got but i want to say i feel like god's calling you to go big i I almost felt like to say to you in this room some of you are just going to drift along you know and you've got to make a choice as to whether you're going to drift through life or you you're going to leave a mark in life and i feel like god's calling you and it could be we led a youth group years ago in south africa and almost every single one of those young people in the group that we left ended up leaving has left an amazing mark with their lives and so it could be every single person here. Don't leave yourself out of this. But, but to go big, it's not about, like, like, what is this massive thing that I'm going to do? I said to my son, don't try and live an amazing life. Follow Jesus. And when you look back, you will have lived an amazing life. And I was chatting to Michael before the meeting, born in Zimbabwe like me, in the wonderful metropolis of Harare. And um, I, had the, I, grew, I was born there, grew up there, left pretty young. And then went back. 20 years later my whole family when we had left were unbelievers got saved in the city of durban i went back to go preach the gospel there and in that time that i've been back many many times over the years now i have seen miracles i mean literal miracles that i cannot explain to you that i feel like i had absolutely nothing to do with i didn't actually other than being a hosepipe for god's power to come through i have seen churches planted i've seen the most incredible relationships built and I'll be back there in May, actually. And I want to invite you. If you're not going to Portugal, because I know there's a million of you going to Portugal already, 27, or if you're not going to South Africa to live village, then why don't you come to Zimbabwe with me in May? I'll be in uh, Durban with Chris for the, like, the, just a few days before that, and then we'll be flying across up to Bulawayo, Trying to find some four by fours because we're going to need them and go up through the bushes to the churches that we've planted over the years and visit them again. Go back and see the guys that we've uh, been working with for some time. I haven't seen now for a few years. And then we'll end up in Victoria Falls and we can bungee jump together and then you can fly home. How does that sound? One adventure. And uh, so if I have a title and I know titles aren't that important for preachers these days, but uh, mine would be converted to compassion. And I have had the great privilege of traveling to amazing places, but also some places that haven't felt that welcoming. I, um, I went to, Z- to Sri Lanka in December. I had uh, just been in South Africa, actually, with Chris. I landed back. I'd been back for just over two weeks, thankfully, because then the Omicron came. And obviously, there was a blame on South Africa. We, you know, we invented Omicron. And, um, and so, but I'd been past the two weeks, flew into Sri Lanka. I hadn't been there for two years. I'd been desperate to get there. I'd booked... I think I booked two or three tickets before that that I had to cancel because the COVID rules kept changing but finally now I was gonna make it so I arrived there 1:30 in the morning and they see my green passport which is my South African passport and immediately the guy goes hold on there's something on the system here goes and calls the chief immigration officer he comes and tells me I can't come in because I've got a South African passport so I sit there for hours Trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, and they take my passport away. I go to the guy and say, "Look, I want my passport back." He says, "If you get, if I give you your passport, you must leave the country." I said, "Well, it's my passport. I think I should hold on to it." You know? And he was like, he was very, started to treat me like a criminal. So then, eventually, he said to me, "No, you, you're not allowed, and we, we deporting you." I actually, now when I apply for visas for other countries, like I recently did, I've got to put there that I've been deported from a country. They filled in a, a form Z or something like that, and. Then they gave my passport to the Emirates guy and then he said, I'll see you in the morning, later in the morning. And so meet me back at 8.30. So I went to go find somewhere to sleep in the airport, 8.30, I, I turned up there, he wasn't there, didn't have a passport, didn't know where he was. At uh, whatever, 15 minutes before I was supposed to go on the airplane, a lady in a hazmat suit turns up and <laughs> seriously, and uh, takes me on a cart, tracks me past security, puts me in the airplane, gives my passport to the person on the flight, when I land, the person tells me not to get out of my seat. I'm not allowed to disembark with the rest of the passengers. Take my passport, which gives it to a security guy in Dubai, who then walks me to some office, puts me through some clearance and said, welcome home. And that was my trip to Sri Lanka. <laughs> so I'm thinking, mm, Sri Lanka. And then I decided to go back again because we were going to do the motorbike trip that Caleb went on and fell several times and hit a few people and things like that. He wasn't the only one, I have to tell you. There were many others. It was, um, and uh, so we went back again in January. I thought, I, I've got two passports, two South African passports. I thought i will use the other one, and trick the system, you know. So I arrived there with my second passport and then I see the lady behind the counter writing down my other passport number on a piece of paper. How do they know that? I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. She sends me back to the same immigration office. I'm sitting there for like an hour and a half in this office. He says, why, why were you deported? I said, "Buddy, you deported me. Why are you asking me that question?" And like, just and that rude and just disrespectful. And I'm not enjoying. I'm going there. I was traveling with a friend of mine called Sajith and his wife Michelle, and we were going to go to this place called Nagumbo, just north of Colombo, to go pray and just walk around the city because they want to go plant there. And so that's what we're going to do. I wanted to bless this place. I booked a hotel. I wanted to support the economy in Sri Lanka. Explained that to the guy. He didn't care. Um, when he asked me questions, I'd get up to show him the answer. He said, sit down. You don't need to stand up to show me. That's, that's kind of how they were treating me. you know. And so eventually I get out of there. I'm thinking, oh, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka. I come down and the luggage is even out here. I've been an hour and a half with the immigration officer. The luggage is not out because the turnstile's is broken. So some guys are throwing bags out one at a time. Eventually we get our bags, and I, and we go out into this heaving mass of people in the airport. Just chaos i could not believe my eyes what was going on it was at hundred percent humidity it was just i thought to myself what what am i doing here I, in fact for the first couple of days in the chaos and the disorder and the the economy in Sri Lanka is I was telling Chris has completely collapsed they are they're a bankrupt nation now they're they're in they're in free fall they, I, I was i look at the graph the other day of the Sri Lankan rupee against the dollar and it kind of goes like this And then literally (laughs) down like this. And I'm thinking two things. What am I doing here? And am I doing the right thing to encourage um, Sgt. Michelle to go and plant a church there? Is this the right thing to be doing? And I felt like actually what we needed to do was pull a Jonah. It was actually to get on a ship to Tosh and get out of here as quickly as we could. And that's where we're going to start our story today is in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. So let's, uh, let's get going. Three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Three verses, and we're on, we're on our way. Yeah, this is like one of those police car chases that we see in the movies. We see in the movies. You actually probably get to see them real life here on the 405 or something like that. You know, with the helicopter's tracking them like that, and suddenly it comes up, hey, come to see, see what's going on. And who is it? I don't know. I don't know who this guy Jonah is. What is he doing? Why is he running? I don't know. It's just, it's just like God, God told him to go preach something, and he's, he's just running away like this. And it says in the text that he's fleeing from the presence of God. Now, Jonah was a prophet. We find out, we, we, we see from another text somewhere else. And um, so he would know the scriptures. He would know the Psalms that have been written. They've been written by King David um, probably a couple of hundred years, many hundred years actually before he was um, going through these scriptures. And so he, um, he would have known Psalm 139 that says, it doesn't matter where I go, to the, to the deepest oceans or the highest heavens, still God, you are there. I can't get away from your presence. It wasn't like he was actually... Going to try and run away from God. He was running away from the command of God. He was running away from the call of God. He said, if God's calling me there, I'm actually going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to go as far as possible in that direction so that I I don't have to do the thing that God has called me to do. He's trying to put distance between himself and what God had asked him to do. And I was thinking about this, that actually we do this as well, don't we? Sometimes we take the job that's going to get us as far away from the call of God. As we can possibly be we get married to the person who's not interested in it or we we just position ourselves in the way that we build our lives so that actually whether we do it consciously or unconsciously that we don't have to live um following the command of christ upon on our lives and what god had told jonah to do was to go and warn the people that their wickedness was going to be judged and uh the reason why jonah didn't want to go is because he was he was actually worried they would repent And then God would forgive them. And um, that seems crazy now as we read the scriptures and we know the whole, you know, the length and the breadth of it. We know about Jesus and we know about the mercies of God and all those kind of things. We know about the power of God to transform the life. But at the time, the reason why um, Jonah didn't want to take place is because Nineveh was actually the capital city of the Syrian empire. And their own historical writings from the Syrian empire um, just and record their own remorseless cruelty towards their enemies they were known to impale people alive out on stakes outside of cities that they were under siege to terrify the cities that were going to fall before them with the screams of these people And they would they would say to the cities if you surrender this won't happen to you if you don't surrender this is what will happen to you they deported whole populations from where they lived dealing with a refugee crisis now in ukraine but these were these were death marches where they would be marched from one um, place to another place where many people would die um, women were taken into sex slavery and um, they put their they put such heavy tributes on those that stayed behind that they would never be free they the whole intent was to humiliate and utterly subjugate the enemies and jonah he's he's looking at this and he's thinking i don't want these people forgiven and when we're so far away from it and when we're reading it in a book, it's quite easy for us to think, oh, come on, Jonah. Everybody wants them forgiven. But when you think about somebody hurting you or hurting somebody you love or mistreating somebody you love, then it's a lot more difficult to process the reality of forgiveness. Well, well why should God forgive them? We, have, we actually have built into us an innate sense of justice because we are made in the image of a god who is just and so it, it, it actually it upsets us when we see wickedness thrive there's it's harder for us to turn the lens on ourselves but when we see it in other people there's something else that just revolts against that and so that brings us to the central point of this book in uh, Jonah 4 verse 2 he says I knew it I knew it. You know, when your husband or your wife says it to you, we like, I knew this was going to happen. I Didn't I warn you that this is exactly what was going to happen? This is what it says in verse 2. O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What Jonah is saying is, I knew that if I preached this word to them, I knew that if I, if I went there and warned them that, they, that if they repented, that you, would not, that you would show them mercy. And God, they don't deserve it. See, Jonah is not talking about this in a general sense. He, he was an Israelite. And actually, there's some evidence that he prophesied about the fall of the northern kingdom. And it was the Assyrians that would actually cause the northern kingdom. They would overwhelm the northern kingdom. They would bring such devastation. Um, Ordained by God across that part of Israel. And he knew that his fellow Israelites were going to suffer at their hand, and he wanted nothing more than for them to be judged because of what he knew they had done, but also what he knew they would do. And so for the Ninevites to be forgiven was an actual perversion of justice. And one of the obvious purposes of this book is to get us to wrestle with the relationship between divine justice and mercy and the world that we live in today it's a it's a wrestle that we have to go through when we we think about so many of the nations of the earth where there is just terrible injustice still taking place but as we know no old testament book can uh, be properly understood without bringing jesus into it without understanding the life and the ministry of jesus christ in announcing the incarnation of christ john 1 5 says the light shines in the darkness. See, Jesus came into a world that's in darkness. A friend of mine was telling me a story once that I, I thought was such an amazing illustration of this. He was walking, I don't know why he was doing this, but he was walking in the bush at night in Africa. And um, one of the things, obviously, living in a city, we never get to see darkness. We think it's dark, but it's not dark. There's always so much um, light around us. But when you go deep into the bushes, I'm sure in some of the countrysides or mountains, when you get into around here, it actually becomes pitch black. It was a moonless night, and he said it was so dark that he could, not, he could see nothing. And he heard, he was walking on this road. I don't know how he was doing it in the dark. Anyway, he's telling the story. So he's walking in this pitch black dark, and he hears the sound of a bicycle coming towards him, but he just cannot see it until it actually comes right by him. He, feels, he actually feels the wind from the bicycle coming, squeaking, going past him like this. And thats He said, I could not see my hand in front of my face. And God actually says in Jonah 4 verse 11 about the people of Nineveh that they don't know their left hand from their right hand. They were in pitch black darkness. And uh, the reason why um, God was sending Jonah was the same reason why he sent Jesus. Not to condemn them, but to save them. And the reason why he's planted us on this earth is not to bring condemnation, but to bring salvation. And I think Jesus is evident throughout the book of Jonah. He's evident in his contrast to Jonah and the way that Jonah processed the situation. Jonah ran from the mission of grace. And though it cost him nothing except this the sense that justice was being perverted, Jesus ran to the mission of grace. And it cost him everything. So that in his death, justice would never be perverted. I'll say that again. In the death of Jesus, justice is never perverted when God shows mercy. And this book... Like almost every book in the old testament is written to prepare the israelites for the coming of the messiah and we read those books that our hearts might be prepared for the mission of the messiah the mission of grace david bosch who's a missiologist a south african actually in his book witness to the world wrote this he says the emphasis of the story i'm sorry the emphasis of the jonah story is not on the conversion of nineveh it is a call to israel to allow themselves to be converted to a compassion comparable to that of Yahweh. What is being castigated is Jonah's and Israel's exclusivist appropriation of God's favor and compassion to themselves. Why is Jonah so angry? For no other reason than that God is treating those outside his covenant the same as those within. Compassion. And I could, I could give you the dictionary definition of compassion. I think we understand what the word means in our in our in our minds but sometimes the best way to understand a word is to look at what the opposites of it are what do, what are the um antonyms of compassion and they include words like this the opposite of compassion is cruelty harshness hatred meanness mercilessness and probably the worst one of all indifference i heard a story once an illustration of this of a, a pastor standing at a, at a um, outside the Um, at a a window looking over the neighborhood that God had called him to minister into and he was he was standing there with tears running down his face it was an inner city situation and there were signs and evidence of the brokenness of the people all around him as he looked upon and his and his heart was was obviously being broken and so one of the congregants came up to him and said to him um hey don't worry pastor you'll get used to it and he said that's why i'm crying and one of the dangers of our christian walk is that we get used to it we get familiar we slip into indifference to a lost world around us, we we start to judge people not by the where they stand with God, but we judge them by how their lifestyle is. I was had the um, privilege of going on a bike ride this morning and riding through Laguna and Costa, and, and Costa Mesa, and it's like um, beautiful, amazing. And I, and we were and we were having lunch today as well, and looking around the restaurant at incredibly happy people all eating food, and I was thinking about what brokenness is in their lives. What, what, um, what, what eternal yearning remains unfulfilled in their hearts as they sit there sipping on this cappuccino or eating that food like that. And, and I don't want to ever become indifferent to the plight of those that are just as lost as the Ninevites were. Just as lost as, as um, that sense of being that pitch black, not being able to tell their left hand from their right hand. And the problem is we get used to it. In Jonah three verse ten and verse four verse one, it says, "When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from the evil way, He relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and He was angry. And sometimes we become, we we become indifferent and hostile to the world around us. And uh, how do we get converted?" To the compassion comparable with yahweh's and um, to use david bosch's work and obviously that's a work of the holy spirit i felt as well even as we we're worshiping just to say um open your lives up again and again and again to the ministry of the holy spirit he is he has been sent by jesus to actually he is a transforming agent in every sense in our lives and so we actually need to find every opportunity to allow him to minister in and uh i think that uh, obviously this this um conversion of our compassion or converting being converted to their compassion is a work of the holy spirit it's it's not a, a list of things that we need to complete it's not seven steps to a more compassionate rob hutton it's um so often in the christian life we're striving when we should be surrendering you know we like we think like if i could just get this right if i can if i can like settle my resolve i'll get to the other side of it when actually all that's god all that god is wanting from us is to surrender we actually got to stop. We got to kind of peel us our, our, our hearts open like and say, okay, Holy Spirit, come and do whatever you want to do. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to bring an awakening into us. It's like, like we, you know, like when you've had a busy season of your life. You know, like you've been busy, 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 and you, the things that were important to you, you just don't think about them. You're just because you're on. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then maybe you get a bit of a break. You've got a, a long weekend or something, and you wake up late on a sunday and you kind of rub your groggy eyes and you have a bit of a lazy morning and you, you get to look around and you see the things that are really important to you and you suddenly wake up you're like i was i was caught in that i thought that was important but now i see this is important and i believe that's what it's like when the holy spirit begins to wake us up and open our eyes i know you guys have been working through habakkuk and in uh, one verse five that the text that i think has been important through the series has been look among look among the nations and see look among the nations and see and i believe god wants to come and give us eyes to see there's three things i believe see ourselves see god and see others and i want to just touch on those number one is to see ourselves and friends you know that jonah he knew god was merciful that's what that was the problem he said i i, god, I know you're going to forgive them if they repent he, he understood the mercy of god but the problem was because he couldn't see himself he did not understand himself as the object of that mercy he didn't understand why god would be merciful to other people and there is there's, there's so many of us um along the way that we, be, we become familiar with our salvation and um, you know we we hear the testimony of somebody who gets saved maybe they were they kind of like completely come from the side and they get saved and you and you kind of go well i can understand why that person is so grateful to god but um but you know i mean i don't want to overstate this but sometimes people think they're doing god a favor when they get saved look i'm gonna look, okay god i'll join your team I, I know you need my particular set of skills and my personality and so i'm gonna give this jesus a go. we were talking last night about one of this is eating plan and i was saying the problem with most people with this eating plan is they 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 it's the same thing with jesus they give it a go they try it but you you can't try it you got it you in or you out you jesus saves you or you're not saved you, you don't half save yourself and jesus can make up the other half you don't it's not like like i'm 80 percent that jesus but i know i can't make the last 20 i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you the chance to take that part of it like i'm i'm actually a really good person i was raised with good manners um but but I, you know i probably do need we were lost we were we were utterly lost there was no hope for us we were as as wicked as the wickedest person that's ever lived that that's that's our comparison not some some close point to jesus where if i could have just had a little bit more strength i could have got to the other side and eugene peterson says that one of the the most onerous tasks of pastoral leadership is keeping people and this is the quote alert to the magnificence of their salvation we see we, we forget we forget what it is that he's done like like we that things that are great and magnificent over time become familiar and they just they they become stayed to us we've been doing a series in church recently called rethinking sexuality and uh, one of the ladies came up to me after i preached on jesus the redeemer and she said to me um why don't you let me share my testimony so it could have been like why don't you let me share my testimony but it wasn't it was um i've experienced this let me share my testimony now that's always a little bit you never know what's going to come out eh? so i said to well why don't you send me a voice note in the week let me hear what it is i, I use a little bit because she had shared it with linda before but i didn't know the detail it wasn't the kind of thing that she would share in fact when i said to linda on the way home she wants to share a testimony linda said wow that's amazing that she's ready to share that story and so she sends me the testimony i wait for a day when i've got a bit of time so i can listen to it properly and i go for a walk and i listen to it and as i'm walking i just begin to cry and um and she stands up and she tells I, i'd only want to repeat her story not because it's, it's it's the most incredible story but what she went through was the most awful awful thing um, but she stands up at the end of it and and she says um my name is Ulame Ilame lessing that's her name my name is Ilame lessing she says i am a daughter of god i am redeemed by christ and i stand free and i tell you like those words just kind of whoosh, hit us like this because because she told the story of what she'd been through. And it was like, how can you get redeemed from that? And then, not just that, but she had, some stuff had happened to her. And then she had reacted by going in the opposite direction. She thought, God can't protect me. So I'm, and she would got involved in the occult. And she, had, she thought maybe the devil could protect us. She had, see, God is, is, and our salvation is the most incredible story that we can ever tell. It's the most incredible thing that's ever happened to us. When I pray for my children, I don't pray, Lord, let them be sporty or... i mean i can't pray for them to be good looking they already are what can you do about that you know what i mean um you know i don't care if they're sporty or intelligent or make lots of money i only care this that they are that they love you and they know they love by you see that's the only thing that matters and so we need to remain alert to our salvation we've got to see ourselves we've got to understand that we are the objects of god's incredible redemption the second thing we've got to understand about ourselves is that we are the ambassadors of grace we set aside our preferences because we represent somebody else. It actually doesn't matter what you think about this person that you're encountering. It's what does Jesus think about them? It doesn't matter what you would like to do to the immigration officer. I actually did wonder whether, actually, maybe there was a whole group of people that God. Are there any immigration officers? Yeah. I must say, when we came in through LA, the, the, the lady that she was unbelievably friendly, I actually wanted to get her number so she could phone the guys in Sri Lanka and help them um but it's but um but actually even those people god wants to save it's not about my privilege it's not about what i'm feeling on that day as i'm sitting in that chair i, was, I had a, they told me to sit down. I, I stood stood two steps away from the chair and i was trying to phone the guy that i'd actually been traveling with and telling him look i'm not going to get out i think they're going to be sending me home and a, a short little guy but this size comes out says to me sit down back on your chair like this i don't you know sit down but it's not about us. It's not about what we think about people, our preferences. It's not about the economy of the country. It's not about the organization of the country. It's not about what I would love to give my friends, such as the Michelle. I would love to send them to Laguna. I'd love them to go plant a church in Laguna. i will get them one of those little beach, place, beach cottage places, you know, on the, on the beachfront there. Um, that's what I would love to give my friends. I don't want to send them to a country that's an economic freefall. I don't want to send them to a country where there's really bad coffee, where, um, where there's so much disorganization. In fact, in Nagamba, where, where they want to go plant, you remember a few years ago when they somebody planted bombs in those churches around Sri Lanka and they killed one of the churches in Nagamba there? I don't want to, I don't want to send them there, but it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what Jesus wants. It matters where he wants to plant us. One of the guys... Um, one of the couples that I work with is a couple called Visi and Sumin. I was with them in May last year uh, up in huh? in Zimbabwe, yeah, in, up in Victoria Falls. And we went and we, we, um, we went and had a cup of coffee the one day. And they just poured out a little bit of how hard this journey has been. And um, places like Sri Lanka, like Zimbabwe, like other places God might call you one day to go and work in and to go and plant in are not easy places to live. It's not like, like we go there like where would i dream you know um, the reason why god calls us is because it's hard if it was hard if it wasn't hard you wouldn't need a call you don't need to be called to do stuff that you enjoy doing and that's easy to do you need to be called to do stuff that's hard it's what holds you it's what keeps you in that place it's the, the moment when you feel like i can't do this anymore which i've said to god on a few occasions i've lain in my bed in dubai and said god please let me let me let me stop i'll i'll let me go back into i'll become an accountant again and i'll tithe 20 percent because i kind of my penance for leaving the ministry i'll tithe 20 i'll i'll sit in the back i won't cause trouble i'll be one of the quiet guys in the church i'll i won't argue with anybody i'll say hallelujah often in the back and god said i didn't call you to ministry so that you would have fun although it has been incredibly fun along the way i didn't call you so that you would be self-actualized so you'd get to the top of maslow's hierarchy of needs he said, I called you because this is what I want you to do. And there's days when it's hard and you're going to do it anyway. And Vesi and Sumin, when everybody else was running out of Zimbabwe, they ran into Zimbabwe. It was like there was a crowd pouring out. People were running and they were they were kind of pushing out the people that were running to get into the country to go and serve there when there was a, there was, um, a crisis, there was no food. And they went in to go and help with the agriculture there. And while they were there, they ended up planting a church an amazing church called king city this is the the inside out upside down kingdom of god where the first are lost the poor are rich and the dead are alive where jesus says that the man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life paul writes in colossians 1 and he says now i rejoice in what was suffered for you and i fill up my flesh In my flesh, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. You see, we live our lives constrained by the knowledge that we are the doorway to the kingdom of God. For some of those that are in darkness and in captivity, we need to see ourselves anew. Secondly, we need to see God anew. They say all right living flows from a right understanding of God. And I don't know how your understanding of God was formed. I don't know if you had a, had a wonderful father or a father that really misrepresented the heavenly father. I don't know what you grew up with in terms of your understanding of the scriptures, whether it has revealed God for who he is, or maybe it's a caricature of the God that we serve. In Exodus 34, Moses says to God, can I see your glory? And he saw God. And when he, as he saw his glory, he saw the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. And David repeats the same words about God in three Psalms. Nehemiah repeats it, Joel repeats it, and Jonah repeats it as well in that passage that I read from you in verse two. I knew, this is from the message, I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. But if Jonah knew that, why did he get so angry because he didn't yet know or didn't have in mind yet the work of jesus christ you see we know that through jesus god is both just and the justifier of those who put their faith in him as romans 3:36 tells us Dana mentioned during um which she spoke prophetically over us after worship about the, the, the parable of the prodigal son she actually mentioned the specific part that i want to talk about is that the father ran to the prodigal prodigal. If you don't know, it means playboy. This is, this, this was the playboy. He'd gone out and wasted the inheritance. When a son goes to father and says, I want my inheritance early. What he's saying is I want you dead. I don't care about you. I don't love you. I'm just, I, I wish you were dead. I wish you weren't in my life. And I, and he takes what he, what he, all that his father's worked for. And he spends it on prostitutes until he's got no money. And then the son that wished the father was dead comes back. And, uh, I remember hearing a preacher somebody said that this is the part that would have left the middle eastern audience speechless the father ran to the son he didn't walk he didn't stand aloof well you know he can come to me he didn't think about the ways that he could um, make up for what he had done you know like he's got to learn a lesson yeah this is like you kind of think of yourself, this is bad parenting man you know how's he ever going to learn if you do this you know, he runs to the son he runs to him and he takes off the garment of shame and puts on a, uh, the, a garment of love he takes off um, he puts upon him the, the, the ring the, the authority he puts on him the shoes again the meaning and purpose to life and he and he has a, this festival but so often we can become like the older brother you see we think of god as this angry deity and we see him just showing mercy in situations and we think but lord how will they learn how will they how will they change if these things happen and it's the love of god and sometimes we, we we grow familiar with who God is, and we've we've known His love, but we go become familiar with it. I'm not um. I don't mind seeing. I've got to put this in the right way because people are going to misinterpret me if I say. If my son walks into the house with a bandage on his leg, I will barely register a flicker. It's like because he's got a bandage on, so obviously it's been taken care of. Whatever it was has been sorted out. Yeah, i just don't i i see the purpose in suffering i know that people are going to get the other side of it and so um hard things happen to everybody and so when people go through hard times it's not that i don't care that it's hard i just know that it's going to produce something and so i'm not I, i don't get upset about it but what happens is that we can become complacent about what god is doing in people's lives and god wants us to actually he wants to come and stir up in us a compassion for people that are separated from us, so that we we do get out of our chair when they walk into the room to move towards them with the love of the God who runs towards us. Lastly, is we need to see others afresh. In that scripture from Habakkuk, it says, "Look among the nations and see; look and see." Sometimes we look and we don't see. God again speaks about, you know, those that have ears, let them hear. We got we got to see. is a a movie old now and so you probably wouldn't have seen it called Ironweed, with um, meryl streep and jack nicholson as the the main actors in this and in this um movie they uh they stumble out of a bar um the characters played by meryl streep and jack nicholson and they see this old eskimo woman lying in the snow probably completely drunk and uh drunk themselves they start to debate about what they should do about this this woman lying in the snow like this and so nicholson asks is she a, is she a drunk or a bum in other words is she, does she live on the streets or is she just drunk and she's fallen in the streets now and uh meryl street replies just a bum been one her whole life and before that he says she was a whore in alaska and he says she hasn't been a whore her whole life what was she before that i don't know just a kid i suppose well a kid's something it's not a bum, and it's not a whore. It's something. Let's take her in. And what we see here is that in a society that is so quick to decide what people are, God wants us to put on lenses of grace so that we can see people who are created in the image of God. When, when, when Jonah looked at Nineveh, he saw the wickedness, and he saw the sin. And we can do that every day around us to people. Wherever we live in, we can see that. We can judge people by that. But when God looked down upon Nineveh, he saw what he says at the end, 120,000 people. 120,000. He knew who they were. When Jesus came into a situation, whenever there were crowds, whenever he went into cities, he saw the people. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. In Matthew 14, verse 4, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Luke 15, verse 20, in the parable the prodigal it says his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him can you see that there's a first we've got to see before the compassion comes we've got to we've got to change our lenses to be able to see people again we've got to ask god wherever i am when i walk into the shop can i see the person that's there we went out to go get some some food of satan croissants this morning and donuts and things like that (laughs) and uh And there was a guy standing in the queue there and Chris immediately turned around and just started engaging with this guy. And I knew, I said, Chris has seen this man. Chris is he's talking to him because he's seen him and he wants to see more. And as we engage with people and we talk to them, God begins to open our eyes. Isn't it amazing that when you hear stories about people that you, maybe like you see them around you and then one day you get to sit over a cup of coffee and they tell you their story and you go, man, that's amazing, I never knew that. And suddenly you feel like, I've seen you for the first time when you hear the story and we've got to be a people that see eventually I got out of that immigration office as I said and I went down to that uh, the, the hall and we got through there in the sweat and like we arrived at our hotel I think four in the morning and went to sleep and we were picking up the bikes the next day and we started our trip around Sri Lanka on day one somebody swung right in front of me and um, caused um caused me to grab everything fell down injured my shoulder and my hip the guy behind me went over and damaged his bike sri lanka was not getting off to a good start and then we had a couple of days of kind of ministering into gatherings that i like i hadn't really asked for us to be a part of it was kind of like past that i didn't know it was a little bit religious and, and we'd been there like three days already and, and just kind of hadn't felt like we connected we had gone down from trinco down to Badikaloa and then we were in in the in the middle of sri lanka in a place called kotagala and uh we'd spent a few days with some guys doing some training there we stayed on the orphanage that um our friend david runs there and um then on the saturday afternoon we went out to go we broke into groups and i went with um one of terry's guys josiah to a little church in palmerston uh, palmerston tea plantation just um of new I'm gonna do a test later on the names of all these places, okay? And um, and uh, so we parked our bikes and we walked up to this what they call the church building. It looked like looked like the house of those people that lost their house when the Russians. It was just no door. Or one of the walls was completely broken. They had no roof over half of it. It had two bedrooms that had a door, and I think that's what they kind of kept some stuff in. It was it was proper ramshackle. Just sand on the floor. They're throwing some mats down. And people gathered there and um, so they had some kids just sitting in the front like probably six and there were probably about 30 or 40 people gathered there Some old people and um, some young people bright and fresh faces and somebody that looked like i don't know they looked like about 150 but they were probably 40 or something like that because the work i'm not work hard work makes you get old quickly there were nobodies and nothings in a nothing place in fact when the people came up to minister to push up the the corrugated steel roof that I was standing under because I was worried as they come of prayer, they would bang their heads and I have to pray for two things. And, um, <laughs> and, I, uh, and I, I don't mind praying for two things, I just didn't want to have to injure them. So, and then they brought this one lady up and they said, whatever her name was, I can't remember, but she was a Buddhist, she got saved six months ago, she was tormented, but now she's free and I want to pray with her for a family to come for salvation. And they brought this other person up, and this other person up. with one story after another, where this um, little church had been ministering to these people. And I felt like God opened my eyes again for Sri sure. Lanka. And as I, as I stood there, looking at these people, I thought, Sajith and Michelle have to come here. Somebody has to come here. People have to come here. I have to come back. It doesn't matter if I've got to sit with those immigration officers again and... Um, you know, and have, they don't offer me tea, but whatever, just sit in their office, again, every single time I go in, it doesn't matter how hard it is, we've got to get into the nations, because God wants to break our heart for the lost again, I can't believe how beautiful the local church is, I can't believe this, I mean, they're they're meeting in this, like, broken down house, and this young couple have got lanyards on like this, they're the welcoming team for this church of 40 people i'm thinking this is so incongruous but but god's present and god's working and the holy spirit is changing people's life and the gospel is rescuing um, this buddhist lady from her torment and her brokenness and bringing her to life again and we saw salvations and we saw healings because god opened our eyes to see the people that were there the people that he saw and he does he knows the name of that lady and she's as precious to him as any other person And somebody decided, I'm going to go plant a church in Palmerston Tea Plantation. And I'm going to rent this broken house. And we're going to gather there and we're going to preach the gospel. The wonder and the beauty of the gospel in God's church. Can I pray for us? Why don't you guys stand? You've been sitting for a while. Thank you. You know, sometimes when I preach, I want to, <laughs> I kind of feel like I want to go to each person and kind of look them in the eyes and say, this is for you. Because we so often hear the word of God coming and we think, oh, this is for Ben. This is for Chris. This is for Meryl. I feel like God wants to do something radical in your life. Not in your life. I'm not talking about genesis costa mesa although i'm so excited about what god is doing here but i'm talking about in your life he wants to do something radical and as we as we choose to follow jesus and just say yes whenever he calls us to something just doesn't matter how disqualified you feel i made a deal with god once i kept saying no all the time because i kept disqualifying myself in fact, it wasn't me, it was the devil. He would keep coming to me every time and say, but Rob, what about this? And he, was right. he wasn't even lying, he was telling me the truth. It was like, I, I had made those mistakes. I was doing those things. And so I would agree with the devil and say no. And then I began to wonder, is this right? God's telling me to do something. The devil's telling me this, I'm agreeing with the devil and not with God. So I made a pact with God. I'll say yes, whatever you tell me to do, even if I don't think I'm ready to do it. But don't call me if I'm not ready because I don't want to hurt anybody else. So all I had to discern was, am i hearing god and if i am then i'm going to say yes and i want to say to you guys when you hear god say yes when he says take a step take a step when he says turn right turn right when he says turn left turn left when he says take the promotion take it when he says don't take it then don't take it when he says um study this study it when he says resign then resign do what god tells you to do and you will live the most radical life that will carry the gospel through you as an ambassador of grace And I pray for us. Father, who is worthy to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Every one of us is flawed in so many ways. And yet, Lord God, you choose us. You choose to work through us. I pray today that by your Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would open our eyes. That we would look and see, Lord. Help us to see ourselves again, Lord God. Help us to burn again with the wonder of our salvation. Help us to be stirred. Just let our own story so stir us, Lord God. Jesus, you forgave me. You died for me. You've you've rescued me. You've called me to eternal life. And Lord, I pray that would would cause us to to be set alight again, to burn for you. I pray that we would understand, Lord God, that it is through us that your gospel will come. That we, the ambassadors, there's no plan B other than us. Open our eyes to see you again, Lord God. in In your beauty, Lord. In the wonder of your mercy and your kindness. That you would love your enemies. That you would run to the playboy son that had rejected you and wished you were dead. You ran to him. I pray that you would stir us, that we would run to a lost world, Lord. And open our eyes to see the people around us, Lord God. Open our eyes to see, to see what you see, Lord God. To listen, to hear their stories, to, be, to, to recognize that every single person around us is someone made in the image of God. And call us, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would call us to some of the difficult places... On this planet, Lord God. I pray that you would call us to the Ninevehs where people don't know their left hand from their right hand, Lord God. That we would go as, a, as a cities on a hill, Lord God. As lights that are not covered. As to bring the light of Christ into those situations, Lord God. Thank you for this church. I bless this church, Lord God. I bless these men and the women that are gathered here. Some of the children that are in here, Lord God, I bless them, Lord God. I pray, Father, for your plans for their life to come to pass. I pray even those that are hearing the words of disqualification spoken over them right now. I, Lord, I break those lies off of them. I thank you, Lord, that you are a qualifier of us. I thank you, Lord God, that as we say yes, you take us on this incredible journey of transformation as we follow you, Lord God. You take these, these jars of clay and you fill them with treasure, Lord God that your mercy might be made known. In Jesus' name I pray.